So the last thing I remember was getting discharged from the hospital. And then three weeks later, I wake up on my bed. The first thing I check my phone, I see the date at the top. And it says it's been three weeks since the last thing I remembered. Because when they started sharing some of the stories of the things that I did, it was weird, but it felt like I had some sort of recollection of it. And it felt like it, they were describing a dream. I didn't know who to believe or, or what to think of this experience. What I did start realizing though is anything could have happened to me. This was some sort of like wake up call for me. I could have potentially lost my life. I could have potentially, anything could have happened. Mm -hmm. My last 15 years of my life, I was not living a life of purpose or intention and I was just kind of going with the flow. And so this is a good sign for me to switch things up. Hey guys doing? Welcome to another episode of Unlinear. My name is Travel Simpson, your humble and gracious host. I'm so uh, privileged to be here today. Obviously Unlinear, we're tracking the unlinear journey of whether it be entrepreneurs or artists or the individual that sits across from me. Today, I have the great benefit of being with a young visionary, Zion, yeah. who is a company founder and nonprofit organizer as well. Zion, thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me, man. Uh, Super excited to be here. I love the podcast and what you guys are trying to do here. And yeah, I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. So you have an interesting pathway into this. Now, I've had the benefit in doing this of sitting across from uh, what I call immigrants to Canada. And the reason why I like that is my parents, they immigrated here, I was born here, but they made the immigrant journey so beautiful, so romantic that for many years, I won't lie, I wished I was an immigrant. People yeah. would say, were you born in Jamaica? And I'd say, yeah. For a long <laughs> time, I'd say that. Yeah. Uh, a big part, big part of my identity. For yourself, you are an immigrant, right? You weren't born here. Yeah, I wasn't born here. Where were you born? I was born in Tanzania. So I was born and raised in Tanzania 21 years ago. Yeah. Um, my parents actually were immigrants. So they moved from India to Tanzania. Okay. Um, so I heard the immigrant story and what it was like to start from scratch as well. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that really inspired me from an early age, you know, seeing my parents' story, moving into a new country and really hustling and grinding it out. Yeah. Um, we come from a middle-class family, so not a lot of wealth. Both my parents would work. Yeah. Um, and my background and my community background, I think from a very early age, this element of, of values around service and giving back was pretty big. Okay. Now, growing up in East Africa and in Tanzania specifically, you see poverty every day. You see it right in front of you. And I obviously came from a middle class background. And so I did have some level of privilege. Yep. Um, and my religious community, so I'm an Ismaili Muslim. Oh, okay. And um, as an Ismaili, it's, and as a Muslim, the value of service and giving back is pretty big. So every weekend, my parents signed me up for like going to the orphanage or uh, being part of the clubs and scouts and uh, volunteering in my, in religious festivals, so like giving seniors water or arranging the shoes. Yeah. From very early age, they signed me up to all these opportunities. And I think that's where that seed was planted around, you know, giving back and uh, service. Yeah. So your parents leave India. You're from the north or the south? Where are you from? Where are they from originally? In India. So they are from Mumbai. Like Mumbai. The, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I know Mumbai because I'm a huge fan of T20 cricket. So oh, nice. Nice. Uh, have they... Or have you ever gone back to India? You so yeah, we go we go a couple of years. A lot of uh, my family is uh, my extended family is okay. still in India. Um, but it's weird, you know. I always talk about like when I go back to India, I feel like an outsider. Mm -hmm. When I in Tanzania, although I was born there, um, because I'm not local, mm -hmm. um, or my forefathers aren't from there, I mm -hmm. feel like an outsider there. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to Kenya, same thing, mm -hmm. and then. Here in Canada as well, I'm, I, I, this doesn't feel like home, right? And so everywhere I've gone, I've always felt like an outsider, but mm -hmm. it's it's also gives you a different kind of perspective, right? Because mm -hmm. you get to see 
how different people's lifestyles are, um, the similarities and differences. It gives you that global perspective mm-hmm. when, when you're approaching stuff, right? And you can connect to different kinds of people in different ways. What'd your father do for work? Um, so my dad, um, he had an engineering background. Oh, wow. Um, but then he started off, he, when he was my age, uh, he moved to uh, Tanzania. Uh, he moved to Tanzania, and then he worked in sales and uh, as a manager. And for the last twenty years, he's mostly been a manager at a FMCG company. Okay. Um, but he would work crazy hours. And then my mom has an accounting background, and okay. so she would work as as an accountant. Um, but yeah, like middle class, nine to five. Um, I think also just seeing them work the hours that they would work yeah. uh, and how they were treated by their bosses and yeah. how they were so constricted to their job. Um, that from a very early age, I realized like that's when I grew up, that's something I don't want to do. Okay. Um, and I wanted to, you know, explore entrepreneurship and do my own thing yep. because the freedom that it gives you to do what you want and, and, and see how you use your time. I'm, I know for me, you know, my mom being an entrepreneur, my dad at the time trying to be an entrepreneur, there were so many different balances. And then it was funny because my parents end up separating, you know, or fortunately, depending how, sorry, mom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she hates when I tell the story. <laughs> but in that, you kind of have this, where the person who's the entrepreneur is saying, yeah, but your mom knows she's getting a steady check. And then the person, uh, or no, the, the person who's the entrepreneur, who's my mom, would be saying, your dad's getting yeah, a steady, steady check. check. So he knows what he's getting. Then my dad, who's not the entrepreneur, says, yeah, your mom could go to work and hit a home run today. Yeah. I know what I'm getting, right? Yeah. And there's that, there's that different sense. I remember the thing, though, for me that drew me to entrepreneurship was the, 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 the moment. It wasn't even parental. I was working a job. I had a family member pass away. I asked for the vacation time. They said no. Mm. And I remember just, I did time. I, was, I think I was still in college. So it was, I think it was like $22.50, something like that. And I did the math. I remember yeah. $22.50 an hour these people bought my family support because mm. I should have been able to go grieve Yeah, and I couldn't. For me, you have your father who it sounds like he went to Tanzania for work Yeah, as part of his yeah. opportunity. Was he already with your mom at that time? He's a young no, guy, but he, so no. he meets her there. He moves, he moves as a bachelor, uh, grinds it out. They lived in like a one bedroom apartment wow. with like uh, a bunch of other people. And then uh, the tradition there is, uh, especially as an Indian is, if you were trying to look for a wife, yeah. you go back and it's like the arranged marriage yep. situation. Yeah, so went back home. Yeah, I went back home. His family had selected a good exactly. candidate. Exactly. We know her. This is going to exactly. be great. And my mom, she didn't know the language. She didn't know anything. She got married and moved to uh, moved to Moshi, Tanzania, which is not the capital. It's like a, a more Rural. remote. Yep. Um, and she didn't know the language. And my dad would work crazy hours because um, he worked in the leather industry. So he'd leave at like 5 a.m. in the morning and come back really late. And so my mom had to figure out everything on her own. Yeah. And my older brother was conceived uh, first year after they got married. And wow. so uh, for her, it was that story, even listening to it at a very early age, I'm like, wow, like you literally had to turn your whole life around, um, go to a new place, not know the language and, and, and build from scratch. Which I thought was super inspiring as well. How many other siblings do you have? Just one, Just older? one older brother. Yeah. What does he do? So my brother works in finance. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, so he's he has a different path than me. But it's funny because growing up, he was if if someone had to say who's more likely to be an entrepreneur, yeah, it'd probably be him. Um, he was always like his favorite quote, and he has it tattooed on his arm is "You have to be odd to be number one." Yep. Um, and so he always talks about 
you know, you have to take the unlinear, you know, yep. path and, and you have to do what's odd to, to be number one. Yeah. Um, but obviously, uh, he also moved to Canada as a university student and had to navigate his way. And so now he is uh, working in corporate and finance wow. and then trying to grind, grind it out there. So you have your older brother who goes this other path. How many years apart are you guys? Four. Four years apart. So you're born, you're born in Tanzania. Yeah. What age are you when you get the entrepreneurship bug? Because yeah. you're obviously mom is with the accounting background, but there's a world where she has a she has a grown boy a yeah. year into the country, so her identity is kind of set. Here. Yeah. So Papa's the one who's going out and yeah. and, and 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 setting this tone. When does the entrepreneurship bug hit you? So I uh, when I was 15, yeah, I had the chance to. My older brother goes to boarding school, yeah, um, and he finishes two years there. And he tells my parents that you should send Zian earlier uh, when I was in grade nine, because he can get the full uh, boarding school experience. And by the time he's done, he'd be set up really well. Okay, so moved to boarding school to Kenya when I was 15. So your brother goes to Kenya first, yeah, four years older, yeah. How long was he? he's there for? Two years. He's there for two years. He comes back and says, "Look, guys, I just went through this thing." I'm telling you, Zion would love it. We got to get him out exactly. early. Get him out of Moshi. Let's bring him to Kenya. Exactly. At that point, you're you're kind of a young guy. What's that? 15 is what grade? Grade nine. Grade nine. So you don't really know what you want to do yet. You you know you're just trying to find your way. And to do anything, they send you to Kenya. Yeah. So you leave your family. Yeah, I leave my family. Um, go to Mombasa, Kenya. It was uh, ten hours drive um, away from home and. My first year, I really struggled. And okay. so I uh, had my, a group of friends that weren't necessarily focused and knew what they wanted to do. Um, my grades weren't the best. I was yeah. still trying to figure out this new system, uh, move, staying away from home. Yeah. Um, I remember there was- Was it all boys school? No. That's no. a problem. Yeah. <laughs> no, no all boys school. No, I, I would never do that. I was just going to say, when you say that, I had a, I had a crush at the time. Yeah. And, she, and, and, and she never liked me back in my first year. Oh, so. yeah. Bad grades, bad grades can't focus. Where, where is she? Uh. Yeah. Um, and, so, and so, yeah, I, uh, my fir- after my first year of school, um, it was weird because on the last day of first of my first year, there was a dengue fever outbreak. Whoa. And um, it, was, it was funny because everyone on my floor got it. And I hadn't got it until the last day. Okay. And I was making fun of my friends. I'm like, yo, you guys got it. Like, I, I like, I have a good immune system and stuff. And then karma does this, does this thing. I get it on the last day of school. And uh, because it was the last day, we had to travel back to our homes to the next day. And so um, I didn't get proper treatment for it. Travel back with it to Tanzania. Hold on. So everybody gets dengue fever. Now, for those who don't know, Dengue fever is treatable, but you have to treat it. Yeah. And it's really tough to, at the time, especially our healthcare system in East Africa, there was no medicine. So what dengue fever does is it kills your platelets and your platelets create your white blood cells and that protects your body, right? Correct. So So if you don't treat dengue fever, the thing with dengue fever, for those who don't know, the fever itself isn't what gets you. It's the fact that your body has no defense system when the fever is at its highest, which is why treatment for it's so important. Exactly. And so I travel back with it to Tanzania it take it. It took By doctors. Uh, yeah, we drove as as a bus. <laughs> we were like hustling out there, you know. Uh, we travel back with it. Um, my parents picked me up from the bus station, and they're like, "You don't look alright. We have to go to the hospital." Rush to the hospital. It takes doctors at least a week. So they kept saying it's an infection, it's something else. Because you have dengue. They exactly. have no idea what you call Exactly, on the bus. and there was no outbreak in in Tanzania at the time, right? So they they didn't have anything to refer to. And then it takes them a week to figure out. 
um, it got to the point where they said if my platelet count dropped any lower, my organs would start bleeding. And so they rushed me into the hospital. Um, I was admitted there for a week. And then from the point of getting discharged, so I eventually recover. Everyone's happy. Like, I'm good now. Um, ready How old to- are you at this point? Because you, you went to boarding school at 15 or? So I went when I was 15, but because but I'm a late baby, I'm an October baby, I, yep. was, I, was, I was still, Got yeah. Um, and so still 15. Um, and then, yeah, I, I, it takes doctors a week. I get discharged from the hospital. And then it's weird because from the point of getting discharged up to the next three weeks, I go into this phase where from what people say, so I have no recollection, but from what people say, I was acting hypersexual and hyperactive. And so I did everything from, from the stories I heard um, at the mosque. I just stood up and started singing and shouting. Apparently every time I would see a girl, I'd just randomly go and hug her. Um, and I did a bunch of like crazy things. You were consciously unconscious, is essentially. Exactly, and so I was like, I was doing stuff, but I have no recollection. Do you remember getting discharged? The last thing. So the last thing I remember was getting discharged from the hospital, and then three weeks later, I wake up on my bed. The first thing I check my phone, I see the date at the top, and it says it's been three weeks since the last thing I remembered. So I was really confused, and my first reaction was like, "Yo." Why is my phone acting up? The yeah. calendar is wrong. So I'm trying to fix the calendar and then I go on my social media. I see something's, something's not adding up and there's all these messages I've sent. Um, and so obviously- So you were talking to people, living I was literally doing stuff, yeah. So to everyone else, they think you're just acting different. Exactly. They think like like I'm, I'm crazy basically or like, um, uh, and so- yeah, three Medication? Weeks. Did they give you any medication when you were discharging? So there was, there was a bunch of medication. Um, so yeah, a uh, bunch of medication and everyone had a different theory. So I uh, called my parents, they rushed back home. They tell me, their first reaction was, they were relieved. They're like, okay, Zian's finally asking questions. Like he knows something is wrong. Yeah. Um, so they were relieved. And then they started explaining to me and they're like, the doctors that treated me for dengue say that could have potentially affected my brain functionality. And that's what caused me to go into this phase. We went to a psychologist. She misdiagnosed me at the time for bipolar disorder and say that I went through a manic episode. Um, we went to, my parents were religious, so we went to religious priests. They thought I was possessed. And uh, we went to like a Reiki master and she said my chakra for like uh, sex Reiki was Buddhism, like misaligned. Reiki's Buddhism, yes. Yeah, exactly. And so everyone had a different theory and I'm just, I just wake up and everyone's telling me all these things and I'm like, I was so confused um, because when they started sharing some of the stories of the things that I did, it was weird, but it felt like I had some sort of recollection of it and it felt like it, they were describing a dream. And so I'm like, what is, what is happening here, right? And so it took me at least one to two weeks and they also drugged me up a lot to like control me. Um, and while you were in this state? Whilst I was in this state. And so I still had all these side effects. Like when I got up, I couldn't sleep at night. I was always shivering and stuff. Um, and I was so confused, right? And so eventually I, uh, it takes me one or two weeks to fully recover, but I didn't know who to believe or, or what to think of this experience. What I did start realizing though is anything could have happened to me either when I went to dengue fever or after in those three weeks. And so I definitely felt very grateful, but it was weird. It felt like this was some sort of like wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. I was, and I was like, you know what? Like going to this experience, I got to get my shit together. Mm-hmm. I could have potentially lost my life. I could have potentially, anything could have happened. Mm-hmm. My last 15 years of my life, I was not living a life of purpose or intention and I was just kind of going with the flow. And so this is a good sign for me to switch things up. 
And so it's weird because uh, I eventually recover, spend the rest of the summer. My parents were scared to send me back to boarding school. They're like, what if it happens again? Yeah. But I managed to convince them. I go back to school and- So you're 16 now, you're two. I'm 16, yeah, I'm 16. Um, required to, first thing I, I go, I have to do when I go back is, as part of the curriculum I was doing, I was required to start up a personal project. Could do anything of my choice. Um, and I find out about uh, menstruation. And uh, so I watched this documentary on Al Jazeera yeah. um, about uh, menstrual health in India. Yeah. And and then have my first time learning about like periods and menstruation, yep. the fact that girls get this. Yeah. So I have a conversation with my mom about it and she tells me that- I don't know anything about that at 15, yeah, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so well, well, you were brave enough to ask your mom about it too? Yeah, I was like, I watched this documentary. Like, why have, why have I never, you know, heard about this? And no sister, right? Just a big brother. No sister, yeah. Golly. Yeah, and so, and so I talked to my mom about it and she's like, when she was younger and she grew up in India, she didn't have proper access to products. And she had a point, cause she grew up in a single parent household where she would use old cloth and blankets when she would get a period. Wow. And that was unhygienic, unsanitary, she would leak. And then obviously I'm like, yo, I watched this documentary. My mom went to this, I wanna learn more. Mm-hmm. I go online and the numbers suggest over 500 million people around the world go through the same issue. Mm-hmm. And depending on where they are, there are some people that use old leaves, blankets, sand, when they get their period. A lot of them miss school when they get their, uh, when they get their period, which leads to so many other issues. Mm. Um, in Kenya at the time, people were trading sexual activities in order to get access to these products um, and people would take advantage of that. And so I'm like, I found out this is a really big issue um, and, and I wanna do something about it. So my fir- for my first project, I'm like, um, I, I went online, looked at different solutions and I come across reusable menstrual products. Okay. I'm like, this is cool. Like I've never seen something like this. And so I uh, looked at all the different prototypes, worked with a local tailor, learned how to stitch and then came up with my own prototype at the time that will last for six months. Um, and for my school project, I was able to support 22 menstruators in Moshi, Tanzania wow. um, and was able to uh, get a good grade and 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 present about it and and that marked the end of my school project and that was what started started this whole journey. I think the thing that that that, that jumps out to me about that story. I mean, so I my major in school is politics. I took economic classes as yeah. well. I spent some time in the arts. One thing that's very true though, when I first made a film, uh, the lead in my film was a female because yeah. I wanted to tell a female story. But remember, I wrote it. Yeah. At the time, it was okay. If I would have tried to make that movie three years later, they would have said, you can't write for yeah. a woman. I don't know what it's like in Tanzania, but I got to imagine that they're not expecting the 16-year-old yeah. boarding school guy to be tackling menstruation. Exactly. So everyone at the time was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, yeah. uh, First, as a dude, you're not supposed to talk about this. Right. It's very taboo. Very Forget you not talking. They're not going to talk to you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so my close friends, like all my boys who make fun of me, they're like, yo, like you're the, you're the guy that's working on periods and stuff. Oh my God. And then, uh, but the girls in the community were very, were very supportive, especially my close friends. You know, they're like, you know what? You're making this product. I'll test it out for you. I'll give you feedback. Yeah. Um, and so initially that small group of people in my community were supportive, but the larger community were like, well, we've yeah. never heard about this. What are you doing? And you're also so young. Like, why are you trying to solve this issue? You know what I mean? Um, but I had my mom's story as my inspiration, right? And so I was always like, my mom went through this. I want to do something about this. And so after my first year working on the school project, 
I could have ended at that point. I presented about it. I called it the iPad at the time. Um, and I put a picture right next to Steve Jobs. And I'm like, you know, <laughs> this iPad is funny at the time. Um, and then with my school project, I, uh, after, so we help the 22 menstruators. We give them this product that lasts for six months. And I go back to them and I ask them, what do you think of the product? Mm -hmm. uh, trying to get feedback from them. And they told me that what you have done has actually contributed more to this problem than solving it. And I'm like, what? I just spent one year working on this thing, right? Like, uh, I thought I did something good. I felt good about myself. Mm -hmm. I got a good grade. Um, and I asked them why. And they're like, you don't realize, but after the six months that this product lasts, we're going to go back to the same old methods that we had. And in reality, you have just created a dependency syndrome where we'll now keep depending on you to come and give us more products. Mm. And so you have not really solved the root cause of this problem. Instead, you've just made us dependent on you. Mm. And, and then they also tell me all these things about the product and um, all the iterations I could make on it and things I never considered, obviously, mm. because I'd never got on a period. Um, and so I take all this feedback and go back to school and I'm like, I have to work on this. In your first year when you first, no female partner, no, no assistance, you're essentially just learning from your mother and then the willing participants and what would have been your 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 test phase. Exactly, exactly. So you get through all that, you finish the school project, it takes about a year. Yeah. So when you went back to school, you were 16, you go through that year, which is a successful phase, you get an A. Now you're 17. Yeah. You're 17, you're going into year three now. Yeah, I'm going into grade 11, yeah. And because... When you get dengue, you don't finish that school year, right? You got to take the year off? Or? No, I got it in the summer, right? It was last day of school and right into the summer. So, yeah. So you spend those two months over the summer, three months over the summer. Exactly. You get back to school. You run this new project. 17 now. Um, and you've gotten feedback. Yeah. That, look, this is a spark, but there's a fire on the back of this that you're going to yeah. kind of want to be careful. And... And this whole time, no female partner, no female executive? No, no. Okay, what happens next? So so most entrepreneurs at that point, they're like, you know what, I'm done with this. Got a lot of bad feedback. I have no funding. I've, like, I, I don't have a team. Like, I don't know what to do. But for me, I'm like, the only way I can make this work is I can't do this alone. I need a team. Yeah. The first thing I do, go back to school. Uh, we hire a group of volunteers. First team, seven to ten people. Wow. We have girls on the team. It's a big staff to Yeah. Serve. But we're, we're all volunteering, right? And so, and, and we decide so that a lot we, of egos. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of egos. Yeah. Right? We decide we have to change two main things. So one thing that we changed was the product itself. We worked with a local group of women dis with disabilities that knew how to stitch. And they were making reusables as well. Mm -hmm. And we collaborated with them and we changed our product. So now our product lasts three years, 100% biodegradable, extremely cost-effective and embarrassment-free. The product also... In addition to just the pads, it includes pairs of underwear because some of these groups uh, don't even have underwear to wear. Um, so we'd include underwear, include soap to actually wash these products. We include a waterproof bag um, and it comes as a whole package now. And we, we change a lot of the things on the package that we heard feedback from from the communities. Second thing that we change is our approach. So we're like now, instead of just going into a community and giving them products, mm -hmm. first we'll go in there, do a needs assessment, understand their context and build a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. The only way they'll actually want to work with us is if we have a relationship. Mm -hmm. Based on the needs assessment then, we have an educational workshop where we uh, teach we teach both boys and girls about reproductive sexual health. It's usually not part of their school curriculums. Mm -hmm. And so we teach them that and 
we teach them about the science side of things, uh, things you learn in class, but mm-hmm. also things that you don't learn in class, mm-hmm. right? And so we do that. And then after that, we introduce our product. Mm-hmm. Like, this is the product. These are your other alternatives. Um, and this will last you three years. Here's how you use and wash it. But what we'll also do is we'll teach them how to make their own. Now, the good thing is, it's this whole idea of don't give a mana, fish, teach them teach how, them how to fish. fish. And so, and so cause we use locally available materials, we know that after the three years that this product lasts, these people are gonna have lifelong access because we're giving them the skill to to know how to make these products. So who's helping you pay at this point for the creation of the? So it's funny. So in, in terms of funding funding the actual thing at the start, you know, I reach out to all these uh, big donors and and I was trying to host events and I was trying to do uh, do online crowdfunding. Is this year one, like sixteen year, or this is like the no, second second, year, second year when I actually need a lot of money to like get this. This going. is when you have the team volunteering exactly. and you're trying to build the three year exactly. one. Okay. And, and no one was saying that seriously. Obviously, we didn't have a lot of credibility. We're young people. And so what we ended up doing is we realized in our school, um, uh, we had events every Friday. Mm-hmm. And shawarmas were very popular. Everyone loves shawarmas. We were boarding school and our boarding school food wasn't good. And so when we'd have an event, we'd get shawarmas and everyone would mm-hmm. buy them, right? And mm-hmm. so what we would do is we would buy shawarmas for $2 from outside, mm-hmm. sell it for $3 at the event, we would, every Friday night, we would sell 300, 400 shawarmas okay. to our school and we'd raise $300, $400 every week. Okay. Um, by the end of the month, that's $1,000, like $200. And, and that would put us at a good place to, to start off and have some money. So that's how we were, we were funding, fundraising at the start. Um, so yeah, we changed our approach. And then at the end, we usually have a celebration review phase where we assess the impact of work, celebrate, get feedback, and then move on to another community. And so we do that. We develop and grow and 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 then what it's been five six years now and that from that school project has now turned into this global movement of 20,000 we've helped 20,000 people in 10 countries around the world 20,000 people 10 countries around the world your initial vision for that first use case of people who had the three-year solution did they in fact go on to make their own yeah and so so in the communities that we worked in we do, we, we've done that and we've seen in those communities, they obviously, depending on the community, it varies, but we've seen communities where they make it on themselves. But what they also do is in some communities, we teach them how to sell it in their local communities. And so what we're doing in turn is you're not only helping yourself, you're becoming a social entrepreneur in your own community. Yep. You're earning money and you're taking, out, you're taking yourself out of that poverty cycle that you're trapped in. And that now helps solve the root cause of the problem, mm-hmm. which is poverty and, and the fact that they're in this poverty cycle that's passed on from generations. Now, so 17, you bring on a team, you're selling shawarmas on the weekend to keep it going. Yeah. You're still a student yeah. in school. But you adjusted the approach so you can have long-term success. We, we skip and we know where it is now, 20,000 yeah. people, 10 countries. Yeah. What was the first other country that you went to? Because at the end of that year, you know, you go 17 to 18, that's your grade 11 year, I think. Yeah, or grade 11, yeah. Whichever year that is. Um, you know, look, at the end of the day, you go 17 to 18 is only three years ago. Exactly. So when was the first time that you jumped to a new country? Is that before the country. end of the year? Yeah, so whilst I was building in my own community in Mombasa, Kenya, what I started doing was 
two things. One, I started documenting the process of how I was doing everything. Mm -hmm. So how do you make this product? How do you start your first team? How do you host a fundraiser? Mm -hmm. um, how is it that you approach a community? I, had, I came up with all these documents not knowing that this would be very helpful for me more long-term. And the second thing I started doing was I was documenting my work on social media. Okay. So I started posting on my personal social media. We created a page for it. And a lot of young people that were following me were like, yo, I love your work. Is there any way I can help? And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's a lot of ways that you can help. If you want to start your own thing in your own community, I have all these documents. Let's get on a call. I'll send you all these documents. Why don't you do the same thing in your own community? And so the first country, uh, we were in Mombasa. We had a team in Mwanza, Tanzania, uh, want to do something. And then in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, want to do something. Mm -hmm. And then uh, first uh, big country was Pakistan. So it's really weird because I've, I'm Indian, so I mm -hmm. can't go to Pakistan. Mm -hmm. um, but, but our first, uh, first like international country was, was Pakistan. And uh, we have teams there now and, 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 and elsewhere too. So all this is happening COVID as well. When when is COVID? So in COVID your store? COVID hits um, probably the first year. Yeah, no, no. COVID hits twenty twenty, right? So I was a I was eighteen, turning nineteen. So two years into this actually being full flown, um, but it was weird because in twenty nineteen, that was the year where I, you know I was like seventeen and and I I was really building some momentum and mm -hmm. we're growing. Um, and whilst I was building momentum, I was also getting a lot of recognition for my work. So um, I was getting a lot of media, we were on BBC and things of that sort. Um, I was getting flown out for conferences. So mm -hmm. I flew to New York and I flew to Dubai to talk about my work. Um, and so getting all this recognition and it's, I, I feel like every entrepreneur has that 15 seconds of fame when sure. they're starting yeah. off, right? Yeah. And, and, and so I was having my 15 seconds and then COVID hits and things take us slow. Mm -hmm. And so our numbers at, in, at the end of 2019 were 500 people. COVID hits and I'm like, I have, I'm doing all this media and I was evaluating how, how I'm spending my time and I'm like, a lot of the time I'm spending is talking about my work versus actually doing the work mm -hmm. and building mm -hmm. my craft. And so I'm like, you know what? We have to change this approach. So right before March 2020, we secured a big deal with a bank in Kenya for the for the products for the products okay we we secured a, a big big grant of i think for us at the time it was very big we got like twelve thousand five hundred dollars wow. um and as part of that they had committed five hundred thousand dollars over the next five years okay and so it was a start of something bigger right mm -hmm. and so we get all this money but COVID hits and we're like shit we all have to go back home schools are closed this issue is only becoming worse mm -hmm. what is that we can do and so we're like I'm back in Tanzania, we get this funding and this funding was specifically for projects in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I have no volunteers, I have no team, but I have $12,500 sitting in my bank account. Right. And, and so what I do is the group of women with disabilities that we work with, we had employed them full time to actually make these products. Um, so we are like, you need to take your machines at home, mm -hmm. make these products. Mm -hmm. um, we don't want you to lose your jobs. Mm -hmm. I reach out to every single organization in the space in Kenya. And I'm like, you guys have access to going on ground in your own communities. We'll make the products. We'll send it via bus to you. You guys go on ground and distribute it door to door because these girls need this. They need it, yeah. And, 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 and so we do that. And at the end of uh, 2020, our numbers were 8,500 people. 
Um, and so we go from 500 to 8,500 people. And the main difference was, yes, we got the funding, but in terms of how I was spending my time, I had taken a lot of steps back in terms of talking about my work. Mm. And that's something I realized, especially in this space, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of these activists that are always like, you know, yep. always talking. Because well, you got to sell it. The thing is, when you're an activist, business person, can't just sell the balance sheet. You got to sell the dream. Exactly. And so, yes, but I realize there's a good balance in, some, in terms of talking about your work mm-hmm. versus actually doing the work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so I could have gone on on that same trajectory of like, I'll help 500 people and for the next five years, I'm just going to talk about how I help mm-hmm. these 500 mm-hmm. people. Or I could have used this recognition and, and funding I was getting mm-hmm. and platform that I was having to really put in the work. Mm-hmm. And we went from 500 to 8,500, which is more than 10X, right? And so right. Um, noticing that difference was also pretty big, yeah. Now, this is a nonprofit, I'm assuming. Yes. So... When do you, so you leave the boarding school, when do you graduate? Yeah, so I graduated in 2020, COVID year. Um, I watched my graduation on Facebook Live when I was in my shorts in my bedroom. Um, (laughs) So that was fun, but uh, COVID hits and and I get a full ride scholarship to come to UBC. Um, UBC? Yeah, UBC, so Vancouver, yeah. 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 And so for me, uh, my first year was online, obviously during COVID. And then uh, 2021, February, I moved to Canada. Yep. And, and, and I started, I uh, still continue a lot of the work that we're doing, um, but I just moved to Canada. What I realized though, because during COVID, a lot of people took a couple steps back to like really take time to rest. Mm-hmm. But for me, I'm like, I have X many more hours, I'm gonna double down. Yep. And so I grinded out and hustled during COVID but when I moved to Canada, I realized I came a little burnt. And so- When did you move to Canada? 2021, February. Oh, sorry. You did say that. February 2021, you was going to come here. been here for two and a half years. Exactly. You were already doing the- Nonprofit side of things. The nonprofit side of things. Exactly. But your thought was to come here and burn yourself out more. <laughs> yeah, basically. And okay. so, so I come here, I'm doing school, doing university. Because you're at UBC, which is West Coast. Yes. Coming from- East Africa, the time zone alone is making it hard for you to manage yeah, your business. Exactly. Okay. So so uh the good thing is we had set it up in a way that our team is amazing. Like we have 150 volunteers in all okay. the different places, all doing cool stuff. And okay. um we we were I was running it online from from Canada okay. and and I'm doing a business degree. And so whilst I was building that out, I slowly started seeing I'm like, my end goal was not to run a nonprofit. I knew I needed the money. I didn't have a lot of it when I started a business. And so I'm like doing my business degree and I'm obviously entrepreneurship one-on-one, you gotta find a problem. Mm-hmm. So I looked within myself and I'm like, in this last six years, what problems have I come across? Yeah. I had two options. One, I could have turned this nonprofit into a for-profit venture. And- Which I'm surprised you didn't actually. Yeah, and, and I could have started selling these products, but I started you, realizing that- if you sell them institutionally, World Vision buys exactly. up a couple billion, 10 exactly. packs, buys you out just to keep you out yeah. of the market. So, so I could have done that, but then I, because I'd worked six years, and for the last six years that this whole thing was my whole identity, Yeah, I was like, I'm still young, and my definition of success is I need to maximize learning. And so me turning this into a for-profit, it just felt like it'd be too in my comfort zone. Okay. And I wanted to start something new. And so earlier this year, when I was looking for problems to, to solve, I realized in the nonprofit space, sustainable sources of funding was a big issue. <laughs> is. All of them are struggling with, you know, 
sustainable source of funding. And, and because of the platform I created, I had access to a lot of big charities and organizations. Okay. And so, and so earlier this year, I broke down that issue further and I realized from my conversation with the charities, it was coming down to two main things. One was donor retention rates. And so donor retention rates in North America are less than uh, 20%. Mm-hmm. And, and the second thing it came down to was almost 50% of the charities I talked to uh, and, and a report that came out this year were dissatisfied with their engagement with microdonors. Mm. So 18 to 30 olds that give one to $10, one to $100. And so I'm like, how is it that I can use technology to solve this issue? Mm-hmm. Took a lot of time to spend uh, spending consumer patterns for 18 to 30 year olds and eventually uh, got into the next Canada program, which mm-hmm. I spent the summer in here in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, and I managed to build a platform that primarily works with these organizations to improve their donor retention okay. by empowering their donors through cashback rewards and spare change roundups. And so how it works is, uh, let's say you give to For The Menstruator, right? Yep. Um, we work with For The Menstruator, uh, reach out to you and be like, hey, we have come up with a new and innovative way to give. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get cashback rewards whilst you give back as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, you create an account, link your credit card, mm-hmm set up your donation settings. Let's say you want to do 10 bucks a month. And then with every transaction that you do, it will round up to the nearest dollar. Okay. Yeah. I'm following it. So the cashback rewards is that for every transaction you do, it rounds up to the nearest so dollar. So there's spare change roundups and cashback rewards. Yes. With every transaction that you do, it'll round up to the nearest dollar um, until you hit the $10 mark. Okay. And then if you shop at any of our brand partners, so, so far we have 30 plus brand partners like okay. Sportcheck, Canadian Tire and so forth. Um, if you shop at any of them, they have uh, put in all these offers, let's say 1% cash back. Let's say you spend a hundred bucks at Canadian Tire, you get to 1% back. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you get a, a dollar back and, and with that dollar, you can decide to donate it to for the menstruator. Got it. And so, so your brand partners are essentially giving you the opportunity to procure additional donations. Exactly. And for them, the value prop is it's a low customer acquisition cost, and they're also able to say we're supporting X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, and so, what we're really envisioning is a world in which we're really creating this circular economy that in which with every transaction that you do, you're giving back, and it's all unique and frictionless, right. all automated. You don't even realize it's happening. Yeah. So we use something called card linking technology where you, once you link your credit card onto a platform, you yeah. don't have to come back and, 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 and do anything. It's, it's, if you shop in person or online, it all happens on the cloud, all automated. Yeah. yeah. And what is your vision for For The Menstruator now? So I've taken a couple of steps back from For The Menstruator. The good thing is we have an amazing team of volunteers that, that are running it and, and, and doing the amazing work on ground. Okay. Um, so I, I would th- imagine it's hard. You're out here in BC. You can't ignore the fact that at the end of the day, it's going to go global, but it's an East African. Exactly. I, I wouldn't say it's, I was actually surprised. So when I moved here, the numbers here are actually pretty bad. One in four menstruators don't have access to products in no, Canada. So so, but I think then your learning would, curve is going to be harder here, though. Exactly. Because Tampax has their full hold. They're not going to want to let you in. Exactly. Because um, at the end of the day, this is a technology that's going to go to low-income communities. Exactly. Those are the communities that, I mean, we're going to get a bit political here. If a woman's on welfare, I know she's buying her, yeah. her, her pads because on one hand, it's government money, and on the other hand, she can't go without it. Yeah. Now, that's a deeper conversation on if female products should even be for sale. Yeah. Um. I don't know. 
I can't remember. I, I I can't remember if this is just something I thought of one day. I don't know if they're taxed. They are. They are. They're they still are, taxed. They, yeah. Oh my days. Yeah. See, even that. I just, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole. It's a whole. It's, a, it's a, yeah. such a thing, right? But I mean, I think it could be huge here. I think it'd be massive in the states. Four hundred million people. But yeah. I'm a capitalist. Yeah. I'm. I think. To me, the, like I don't know if you have a patent on the technology. This is something that that is for a greater good. Yeah. Without a doubt. Exactly. The 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 great look, the great ignorances of our society is the the little we talk about. Yeah. Sex. Coming over, I can't tell you how many family members who were mothers of children. Yeah. Literal mothers of children. And this wasn't through what they claimed to be, and I don't want to get too far uh, uh any form of sexual assault. But mothers of children who simply didn't know how it happened because nobody talked to them about yeah. sex. Yeah. Uh Young woman who didn't know what a period was because, what do you mean? So what I love about what you're doing is the education component. That's the real key. Yeah. That we can give women an opportunity to demystify being a woman. Exactly. Especially as a man doing it, it it's it's even better because now I'm also involving the guys and I'm like. Which is helpful. You have a sister, you have a friend, you have a partner, you have a mom. They go through this issue. Because how long, be how long do we let our society tell the joke of a girl's on her period, stay yeah. away from her? Yeah. That's the joke, yeah. at least in, in the Western world. Yeah. But you taking a step back, it, it, it's sort of continuing on its own, but you still have a vision for it. And and the reason is, I, I can tell you why you pivoted, because you're probably, you're definitely a good leader. You're giving your team their flowers. So I say, hey, what's your vision? You said, well, you know, I took a step back. They're doing a phenomenal yeah. job. But I got to press you on it. What is your vision for the menstruator, let's say? Five years from now, ten years from now, where do you want to see it? Yeah, it's tough, man. Like I, I definitely know as to see any sort of progress in something, you gotta you gotta fully commit. Mm. And so right now, I'm in this weird situation where I'm half half my legs in for the menstruator stuff, mm -hmm. half is in my new venture, mm -hmm. and and I'm not able to see the levels of success that I want to see or that I compare myself to. In, in any of them because mm -hmm. I haven't fully committing, right? Mm -hmm. And so, but for the menstruator, six years, it's my baby mm -hmm. and I'm so scared of letting go, but I think I've come to the point, hopefully by the end of the year, uh, hire another executive director um, and, and, and let them run the whole just show. Just from there. Exactly. Or, um, you know, just merge with another nonprofit and, and, and give them all, all that we've built and, and, and do stuff together. So, I've definitely been having those tough conversations myself. Yeah. Um, and, and if not, like, I feel like I was slowly just seeing what it'd be like to just let go and, and let it be. And I think I'm ready for that next chapter and that next thing. And, and so I think that's where I'm at in terms of where, where I see this thing. Going. So your new venture that you, you, you got into, it seems like something you stumbled into while being out here at UBC. Yeah. Working on trying to help the administrator. Yeah. What's the new venture? So yeah, so the new venture, as I mentioned, uh, called Green Apple Gives. Yeah. We're trying to help solve this issue around donor retention, sustainable source of funding. Yeah. We really want to create a world where the circular economy and let's say you have this local food bank, local person in this community and, and, and local restaurant, you're just going to have a meal at this restaurant. Mm -hmm. And whilst you're having the meal, without even you realizing you're supporting the food bank, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and we want all of that to be automated on the cloud. And so... Yeah, we launched late Q2 this year. Uh, so far, we're doing over $100,000 in gross transaction volume in, on our platform. Mm -hmm. um, we have 15 organizations, 30 plus brand partners 
but it's still early days and, yeah. and we're still trying to grow and develop and test and iterate. And the goal is that essentially a consumer facing component purchase that dollar can then trickle down to all the support systems. Exactly. Right? exactly. So if I, if I buy, if I go to Swiss chalet, you know, somebody's going to make sure that the chicken farmer gets his, gets exactly, his dollar. Exactly. Okay. And, and we're, what we're trying to do is also create transparency in, in how, where your money is going. Right. And so you'll be able to track all of your donations um, and see, okay, like I spent X much amount yeah. out of that X much went to, um, to, to the chicken farm. Yep. And, and at the end of the year, if it's a charity, you get a tax receipt for it as well. So I get a charity for anything from my consumer purchase that wasn't for the natural consumption of that exactly. item. Exactly. So it's like a dollar tack on, $2 tack on. Now, your brand partners are through your technology. Is it automatically building in a price reduction or that person has to opt into it? Into so the so for the, for the, um, for the brand partners, what's good is they don't have to change their point of sale they don't have to uh, uh, put in a QR code. They don't have to change anything on their system. What they simply do is they just put a deposit onto our platform. Every time someone shops with them, it just minuses from that deposit. Um, and for them, they get access to a whole new group of consumers. They put a deposit on your platform. Yeah. All right. I'm, let's say I'm, I'm burger joint. Yeah. Right. I'm microphone burger joint. I want to be on your platform. Your propositions to me going to be, hey, we have you know, a hundred users, users, 500 users, uh, who are looking for an opportunity, uh, to make sure that they're donating as part of their consumption. Yeah. Would you join us? Yeah. Well, we might send you an extra hundred people. Exactly. I'm going to say, okay, I'll join you. What do you need from me? You're going to say, look, I need you to put a thousand dollars. Yeah. In, in escrow or in holding. Yeah. Uh, I can see it, I guess. Yeah. And then you're going to say, and every time somebody comes and pays you 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 40 bucks, whatever, I'm going to take the yeah. $1,000. Yeah, the take $1, from the $1,000. So because it's in your pocket now. So you put you put a cashback offer. Let's say your cashback burger joint is, if you shop with us through Green Apple Gives, you get 10% cashback. Mm -hmm. And so let's say someone spends $100 at uh, burger joint. They get 10 bucks back. They get 10 bucks back. That 10 bucks goes to for the menstruator because the consumer decided that they want their money to go to for the menstruator. And it's all automated and it just minuses from that thousand dollars. Okay. Yeah. And then Green Apple makes money on the spread paid from the So so yeah. So is there a membership fee for the users? Is it, no user okay. user it's free. Um okay. so we charge the nonprofit yeah. to be on the platform. Um and they pay us a monthly SAS fee and then we have a rev okay. share agreement with them. Um how many users do you have? So still early days. We're we're around the fifty to hundred okay. users mark. Fifty to hundred users on hundred thousand in revenue. So hundred thousand in it's a lot of hamburgers in, in gro gross transaction volume. volume wow. okay. The GTV. So yeah, like it's it's interesting because we're able to see. We are also collecting all the data of mm -hmm. like the general consumer patterns, mm -hmm. and eventually that data can can be used for different kind mm -hmm. of things, right? And so that's also interesting. Because from the nonprofit's perspective, they're like, okay, most of our do donors like shopping at, uh, like buying burgers. Mm -hmm. Let us incentivize them to give, a, to give more mm -hmm. uh, by giving them more offers for mm -hmm. burgers. You know what I mean? And then for the burger joint, they're able to see most of our consumers uh, like giving back to sick kids. Mm -hmm. Why don't we, you know? Uh, use that as a way to market more. And so that's something down the line we're also thinking of. And that is key because selling information or selling people's buying habits 
Facebook is a multi-billion dollar company. Exactly. And it's yeah. it's not like the personal data of those people. Obviously, we, we ensure privacy is a big thing. Mm-hmm. But the general consumer patterns, I think that's that aggregated data is, is super interesting um, when, you, when you look at it. So how many more years do you have at UBC? Well, I have three more terms of school left. So around a year. Um, hopefully, I'll be done by the end of next year. So you got to go back to UBC. Got to go back to UBC um, whilst I build a venture on the side <laughs> and, and, and do everything else. Do you have any partners? I have a co-founder. So it's okay. funny because my co-founder is over 50 years old. Okay. Um, and and uh, he's super interesting, like working with someone older that has built multiple companies in the past. Yeah. Um, it's It's been really interesting to, you know, work together and learn from him and also share my Gen Z millennial experience as well. Yeah. Okay, so we didn't do it for the menstruator. What is your vision, though, for... Green Apple? Green Apple. I think I see this, obviously, uh, after we take over Canada, move to the U.S., there's a big market there. And then Huge. 400 I see million this, people. I see this as a as a global thing, man. Like, everyone uses credit cards. There's over 39 billion... No, 420 billion transa- credit card transactions that happen every year. Wow. And so imagine with those... 420 billion transactions, even if you get 1% of that, just think think about how much you can do, right? And so it's crazy, man. Like once you get into this world and and I've always envisioned, like my, my big vision is to have systemic impact. Mm-hmm. Working in nonprofit, I realize, you know what? You're always asking for money from people. You're yeah, okay. always trying to give back. You're always trying to do good and no one really takes you seriously. But my true theory of change to make systemic impact you got to involve nonprofits. You got to involve government. You got to involve media. Mm-hmm. You got to involve businesses. Mm-hmm. And if you bring all these people on a table together, mm-hmm. you really can make that systemic level impact, which that's exactly what you're doing, right? You okay. have your you have your venture arm now. You're tapping into media, mm-hmm. and and I'm sure you can now start connecting different types of dots that you couldn't connect before, right? And mm-hmm. and at the end of the day, really everything's about relationships, man. Um, and so even though I may not be in government and media and business. I could, I could know people that are, and, and then we're able to really do good stuff. And I think that's what I'm really working towards for myself. I mean, I still have a theory that your older brother is going to leave his cushy finance job, <laughs> come on over uh, to the to the Green Apple uh, uh, tribe and maybe be your head of, uh, your, your CTO or something, your yeah, CFO, CFO head, yeah. of, head, of, head of making sure that you, you know, keep the accounting going good. But what I find interesting it's, look, you have a co-founder, which is probably important. It probably helps you raise money, to be honest. Yeah. When I was at a startup, the conversation that I used to have over and over and over again, it used to piss me off, Yeah. was people who wanted to join our board mm. to add seasoning. Yeah. All these interesting words. Yeah. I can't imagine that you didn't have those same conversations. Yeah. What is that like? Because for those who don't know, when you're like... It's one journey to get an opportunity to give the pitch. Yeah. But that's just, you know, it's PowerPoint presentations, that's emails. You can kind of hide who you are. Yeah. Not not hide it, but you know what I mean? Nobody yeah. looks at the picture. Okay, name, I don't know. Say, okay, who cares? Yeah. When you're in the room and it's live bullets, it's a second sales job. Yeah. And a lot of people struggle at that. Yeah. What has that been like for you? Yeah, I think, so my co-founder and I, we have really interesting dynamic and something I was very careful. We had a lot of conversations on what that dynamic's going to look like. So mm-hmm. one from an equity perspective, he put in a lot of money into the company. Mm-hmm. I didn't have the money to put in. Mm-hmm. So we ensured that I do feel from an equity perspective as enough of a co-founder. Gotcha. Two, 
in decision making, we have our roles and responsibilities set up in a way that there's certain things I'm good at, nonprofit side of things, dealing with them, the impact, marketing, all of that stuff. I'm in charge of that and I have final decision on those things. I get it. And then he's good at uh, cashback rewards side, working with brand partners, um, that side of the business, all the financials. Um, that's that's what he's good at. And he's then, capitalist. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so we really like balance each other out really okay. well. And then when it comes to like talking to investors and stuff, it's funny because I do all the pitches. And so uh, I think I have, a, I have a really unique story and, mm -hmm. and I love like public speaking and storytelling. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so I love pitching. And then when it comes down to questions and uh, we're talking to investors, depending on wh what side of the business the question is on, we take it that way. Take but, it together. But both on outside looking in, but also within ourselves, we ensure that there's, it doesn't feel like, oh, just cause he's two times older than me. Like he feels, he feels uh, like he has to make a decision. It's, it's, it, there's that equal feeling for sure. So what do your parents or specifically, I guess your father think about not, I mean, the menstruator that's in his backyard. Yeah. But they say, I mean, I can't imagine this is what they imagine when they sent you to boarding school. Yeah, I, I, I don't think they ever, they ever saw this as part of my plan. Mm. I don't think they ever thought about this when I was sick. Cause when I was sick, I, when, when I got back, my a lot of people around me say like your mom was 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 worried like you never get out of this, and and she would see her like crying, um, in community events and things. Because so, like you said, they thought you were crazy. Exactly, exactly, and so from that to all the opportunities I've had the privilege of getting now. Mm -hmm. I think they're definitely very proud, but I know I haven't even scratched the surface and, and, and there's a big vision that I'm working towards, right? And so a lot of the times they, they don't even understand like half the things that I'm doing, mm -hmm. um, but they know whatever I end up doing, like they trust that, that I'll be all right, right? And, and they're always supporting. They're always, no matter what it is, um, I'm always on my mom's Facebook, Facebook feed. She's always sharing my stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and yeah, they're really proud for sure. And, and always supporting. Are you still a practicing Muslim? I am a practicing Muslim. Do you find it hard? I remember when I was, okay. So obviously for my own non-denominational Christian upbringing, doing business, I started just to find very tough Yeah. because morality doesn't exist in the boardroom. Yeah. How has that been? For you to balance. I only say this because I imagine doing business in Tanzania is a different jungle than doing yeah. it out in BC, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I'm, look, business is this type of thing. It's always evolving. There's more than one way to do it. Mm. But you kind of cut your teeth and have a successful flag planted one place. So you kind of think you know how to do it one way yeah. and that's the way we're going to get it done. And then now you're operating in a totally different jungle. Yeah. What has that been like for you? I don't know if it frictions with your faith. Maybe yeah. that's not the way, but I'm very curious how you balance being in these two yeah. culturally. No, 100%. Places. Yeah. I, it's something I actually haven't thought about a lot, you know, okay. um, for me being Muslim is like my whole identity growing up. Like my friends are all Muslim. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, we're at the mosque almost every day, like playing football after like, mm -hmm. um, and so going to the mosque is, is what anchors me. And, mm -hmm. um, it's when there's all this chaos and all these tough decisions to be made. I know at the end of the day, I have a place to go um, and I have a community to go back to, right? Yeah. And and I would say, being an Ismaili Muslim, we are more on on we're not as conservative in terms of um, some of our values. Okay. Um, and we really promote like innovation and 
um, you know, best practices and, and all these different things. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I, I, I don't think I've still been in, in a tough situation where I've had to question my morals. I'm sure I probably <laughs> will. There'll be a lot of situations sure. where um, I probably will have to make some decisions there. But so far, it's it's been a, a great anchor for me. Yeah. Um, and, and it allows me to block out all the noise when... Um, at the end of the day, when you go to the mosque, even if you're a billionaire or if you're struggling to pay your bills, everyone's treated equally, right? And so yeah. that's something that I'm always reminded of. Which I, I, I love those, I mean, people have different views. I, I, I'm of a belief every, everybody has a God. Some people's God is what they see in the mirror. Yeah. Some people's God is what they see in the bank. Yeah. Some people's God is what they see in the driveway. Yeah. Some people's God is what they see in their bed, right? Yeah. Uh, so everybody has a God, like, and then you go through and you have these visceral experiences and they drive what they are. I, I say all the time, at the end of the day, we all think that what we believe is the, is the, is the reason for the dedication of our eternal soul. That's yeah. what we got to believe in. And there's always going to be these natural frictions with it, but it is still very spiritually giving and full of spiritual integrity to take those strong personally held beliefs and run down these global problems. Does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. I mean, it'd be one thing if you're like, hey, I'm going to be a, I'm gonna be a minister of the nation, you know, because I'm, I'm dealing with the people, right? But you've essentially taken all these private, personal, moral, spiritual compass perspectives and you've said, I believe it when they say I got to treat my neighbor properly. Yeah. I believe it when it says I can't see a, 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 a hungry man beg for bread. Yeah. And I'm going to pursue that. Yeah. I, I think that's why I asked so heavily about your partners because so much of this is fueled by such a personal journey. It all yeah. starts at 15, essentially being dismissed. Yeah. yeah. And what comes out of it for you is this Okay, every second is gonna matter. Yeah. So let's let's just give it a go. Yeah. But what's funny is that you're still playing the party line because you're dual it, right? Yeah. So I did the I did the men's trainer, but I finished school. Yeah. I'm working on this new thing, but I gotta go back to VC. Yeah. It'll be so interesting as you or I guess like I'm 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 latching onto this part of the story because I identify with it so much. Yeah. But it's I'm I'm you'll have to excuse me. I'm I'm almost using you for therapy right yeah. now. I'm so happy that I'm in finance now Mm. and I'm 33. Mm. Some people would say, man, at 33, it's real good. I thank everybody. High five. Much love. Uh, I started trading. I was 24. I could have started at 17. Mm. I I, I tried. There was a stock I bought. Anybody knows the story knows it, but. Blah, blah, blah. Stock I bought, guy wouldn't let me buy it. That's when I decided to do my own money. Could have started at 17. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have the courage. Mm. I didn't have the courage. Because for me, it was I owe my family my diploma. I, I, I'll tell everybody that honestly. I did not make my first adult decision until I was 21. Yeah. Because I owed my mother and father what they asked me for. They yeah. thought, hey, here you go, guys. I'll, I'll, I'll take it from here. Do you struggle with that? Because you're so clearly an individual, but I see. It's like I see the reverence. Yeah. Does that make sense? I yeah. see the reverence, the yeah. respect for your parents, the acknowledgement of your culture, but I also see the maverick. Yeah. How do you balance those two things? How do you how do you let each guy live in you? It's tough, man. Like 
my partner and I, we have this conversation all the time. And yeah. she's always telling me like, like it's so tough because there's a part of me that wants to do good and wants to change the world. Yeah. There's a part of me that knows I have to pay the bills. I've had so many days where I've seen my parents struggle yeah. to, you know, yeah. pay rent. Yeah. And so from that, there's this two sides of me yeah. and I'm always in conflict, man. Yeah. Cause I do know if I commit to one thing, yeah. the amount of progress that I can make is significant. Wherever you're going to get there. Exactly. Half, less than half the time. Like if, if, if I committed to making money, I know I, I'd be successful at it, yeah. but I want to give back at the same time and, and, and make that impact because I don't know if tomorrow is going to happen for me. Right? right. And so there's a lot of conflicting moving parts. Mm -hmm. But, and there's, there's a lot of chaos, but yeah. I think that's where magic happens, man. Yeah. And, and for me, more recently, when, when I was younger and starting off, I was looking for all the peaks and I'm like, I want to hit this peak. I want to uh, see how high I can get, yeah. right? But every time I'd hit a peak, yeah. it would also be taken as, as low. Yeah. And so more recently, as I'm growing up and I'm starting to see this world differently, um, and getting to meet all the different people, I started realizing I got to play the long game. Yeah. And, and the long game is I got to be patient. Yeah. Um, and so because I've had the opportunity that I've had at an early age, now I'm starting to see all of these moving blocks as, as small, like, like, let's say these are different walls yep. and I'm slowly putting bricks in all these different things. Yeah. And eventually when I build, it'll all make sense yeah. for the bigger vision. Yeah. Right. And so that's how I'm starting to look at it now. But again, like after this conversation, I'm probably going to go back and ask myself a <laughs> shit ton of questions. And I'm always like, shit, man. Like yeah. I was literally telling my, my partner earlier this morning, he's like, I feel like shit. Like all my activist friends are right now at the UN yeah. um, and they're doing all these cool things. Yeah. But I'm out here like trying to build this business yeah. and, and do all like do all these business things. Yeah. But I know if I committed to the activism side of me, yeah. I would be at the UN delivering a speech right now. Yeah. Um, so it's it's always that conflict, right? And I always feel like I'm not doing enough. Yeah. Um. But 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 I have to give myself grace and and tell myself like I'm playing the long game, yeah. and, and that's what keeps me going. I mean, you asked me this when we when we first sat down on the pre-show. When I was younger, people said you have so much potential. Yeah. That is a terrible burden. Yeah. Because yeah. what you've told me is I can do anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is hard. Yeah. Because it's what you quiet, right? I remember. Oh my goodness. When I. So I, I was a student, but artistically or in terms of my entrepreneurship, I was making music. Music's a young man's game, so then I transitioned to making film. Film's a young, you know, film was its own thing. But at the same time that I was making film, I, I discovered finance. I'm like, oh man, I'm good at this. Yeah. I can do this. I, I had seen Wall Street Money Never Sleeps with Shia LaBeouf and Michael Douglas, and yeah. I was on it, man. Nobody had ever told me how to do that stuff. And I'm looking at these guys in fancy suits, and at the same time, uh, I, 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 I used to be so in love with ancient Japan yeah. and ancient Japanese culture. So I'm studying this concept of Ikigai. Ikigai says it's a balance of uh, what helps the world. Your mission, your what passion. Your, yeah. Like I, so I, I did a TED talk uh, in 2020. Okay. The center of my TED talk was Ikigai. Literally, Perfect. The Japanese concept of, of why, like, uh, why they live longer, right? So for those who don't know, tell them, because this is the, this one I cooked me for a while. What are the four the four tenets of Ikigai? Are? So your your passion, yes. 
your mission. Yes. Your vocation. Yes. And and did I say mission? You said mission, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what the fourth one is, but it's basically a combination of what is it that you love? Yep. What is it that you're good at? What helps people? What helps What helps people, and what can you be paid for? Paid okay. for, and that that last one, that paid for one. I think I've had two months yeah. sitting, realizing some of the stuff I love does not pay me. Yeah, I can't do it mm. because it is not a he guy. Yeah, and 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 another person for those. There's a the, the chairman of One FC, uh, Chachi Son. Yeah, he talked about that. Chachi was on, on Wall Street. Yeah. Managing billions of dollars. The guy was rich. Mm. Miserable. Yeah. Miserable. Yeah, he didn't have the other circles. Didn't have it, right? So, and he's like, I want to go back to... And literally, Chatri says, I started 1FC. On one hand, it's a smart business. He says, Asia didn't have a single sports media property that yeah. was of high value. You know, we're here... So, uh, what's a sports media property? So, for example, you have the NBA here, the NBA exports, but it's based here. Mm. Billion dollars. You have uh, English Premier League soccer, native over there. Yeah. Exports, billion dollars. Nice. There was not a single sports property in Asia. Mm-hmm. 1FC is his idea. So it's a good business idea. But the whole concept is like, I want to approach martial arts differently. I want it. It was remind, reminding him of the training that he had from when he was a child mm-hmm. because of the difficulty he had to go through. His father had left the family from just abject poverty. I, I, would, I, would, I would honestly, only because I'm getting the sense from that person, read up on Chatri. Right. Chatri's story is going to blow your mind, yeah. right? But it's that same thing that when you're good at a lot of stuff, the hard day, here's the thing. A lot of people, the world takes it away from them. Mm. For a lot of people. A lot of guys, they think they can play soccer, but they show up, they get cut, or they don't make the team. Or a lot of guys, they don't get drafted, or they don't go to training. The world takes it from them. The world lets them know you can't do this anymore. There's another smaller percentage of people where that's not what's going to happen to them. They will do just enough to keep it going. Yeah. It will be up to them to have the discipline to walk, mm. to then give of themselves fully to something. There's a period of time where you're taking things for experiences. Like I said, Chachi's the CEO of 1FC. He did martial arts when he was a kid. He went to Harvard school, stayed with his mom in his dorm, yeah. uh, lied about that, went to New York, all over the place. Yeah. But when he tells the story now, he says all of that was so that I could be the president, chairman, and CEO of 1FC. But it, it takes that. Because yeah. if somebody says, were you a good student at Harvard? He would say yes. Mm. Then if somebody says, were you great on Wall Street? He'd say I was awesome. Mm. Because guys and girls like that pursue excellence. Yeah. You'll do it good enough to keep it yeah. going. I could I could have kept doing music, but it wasn't it was excellent. Yeah. So I got to go again. I could have kept making movies. It wasn't excellent, so I got to mm. go again. It is... That ability, how much longer do you think you'll have or are you willing to give yourself to be the jack of all trades? Yeah, that's the thing. I <laughs> That's that's so tough, man. Like, Because it's funny that you say this because this is the exact conversation I'm having with myself, right? Yeah. I know I need to take a, take a step back from a couple of things in yeah. order for me to see true success and excellence in, in, in one thing. Yeah. What is it that I'm working towards in, in the short term? Yeah. I think Green Apple is is going to be um what I work towards and, yeah. and, 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 and I'm making those those decisions right now. Yeah. Um the weird part is I still have to be in school to live here in Canada. So so <laughs> so I gotta and and they've invested a lot of money into into me with a full ride scholarship. So 
I'm doing just enough to maintain that scholarship and go to class. I should be in class right now, but I'm here in Toronto. Um, <laughs> um, we can't do this. <laughs> um, and so, so yeah, um, uh, I'll make sure I finish that whilst yeah. I build Green Apple. Um, and I've set those systems in my life to to make it all work. Yeah. But I know eventually I'm gonna have to commit. Yeah. And 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 in the short term, I see myself committing to this business. Um, and, and then going from there. Mm. The good thing though is building this business mm -hmm. satisfies some of these other things that I like doing, right? And mm -hmm. so I still get to give back whilst mm -hmm. I'm building this business. Mm -hmm. I still get to, you know, do media and marketing side of things mm -hmm. whilst I'm doing this business. And so that's the good part that mm -hmm. this business, at least it feels like at this point in my life, it serves that that icky guy and that purpose mm -hmm. element, right? And I'm able to make that systemic level impact that I'm looking for. Man, I... Uh... I could talk to you for hours. Yeah. I can because I, I'm seeing all of them. It's about more than this story. What I what I would hope, what somebody what I hope can watch and feel is what I'm getting in the chair is that sometimes it, it's like, you know, you let a wild horse run, but it's about the older you get, the more you know, the wiser you get. Mm. You, you rein in the horse a little yeah. and a little and a little. And then you, you kind of just take a leap of faith and then you come out the other side. So for example, you know, we have an opportunity. I'm doing a, I'm doing a I'm doing a talk next week at a financial conference, yeah. right? But when I gave up music, I never thought I'd be on stage again. Mm. Simple. Yeah. I used to act. So when I used to act and I used to make music, there's something you get from being on stage and sharing. Yeah. And some of these things I wrote, right? So yeah. like, this is stand and deliver. This yeah. is, when I gave up music, it's I will never be on stage again. Yeah. But, but, but more. And now I'm on stage is probably more now than I was when I mm. made music. Mm. So I do agree with you that I think it all does come back. Yeah. But this is the training, right? This this feels like the trials of a Jedi master yeah, yeah. learning. Yeah. And then it all comes back later. And you have to be, the question is, what are you willing to give up, yeah. right? I think once you answer that question and are willing to give up everything else to to master that craft. Yeah. Once you master the craft, everything's going to come back and, and it's going to come tenfold. But you have to be willing to give up everything else in, in order to do that. Okay, what? Huh, okay. Young man, my, my parents separated, which I talked about. So I really wanted to have a family, mm. badly. Wanted a relationship, wanted kids, the whole thing. I currently have neither mm. because it's what I was willing to give up. Mm. I remember thinking to myself, I don't want any of that if I don't grow a business anyway. I remember telling myself that. I do not want any of that if I can't have okay. this. So I might as well just go after this. And, and I was willing to give it up. Super angry. I mean, my father used to tell me 30 was a good age to get married. I am no longer 30. <laughs> Sorry, Pop. But I remember, I just remember so holy. I was seeing my friends get married. I was seeing them have kids. And I would come home just feeling so much angst. Mm. And but I should like almost like you're talking with the UN. But I remember thinking, but I picked this. Mm. This is the part I chose. I'm walking until it's done. And when you're a struggling entrepreneur, it's not wealthy. People yeah. think it's great. I was living, I lived with my father. Many years past the point of my other friends had moved yeah. out because I'm like, well, I can't. I, all my expendable money is going to grow yeah. my company. Years of that, but I, but I was willing to sacrifice mm. it for what I don't know how to describe it. It was of no second thought to me once I decided on yeah. that. Where, where does that land for you? What is it you're willing to give up? What is it you think it's going to take for me to? What's it going to cost you to get everything you want? It's funny because from from when I started for the menstruator 
to when I came to university yeah. and I'd hit, I hit a lot of like high peaks that, that I'd seen for myself. Yeah. At that time, the things I gave up was my well-being. So if you'd seen me a couple of years ago, uh, I've, I've gained a lot of weight. Okay. Um, my mental well-being was whack. Yeah. I was always on, so wasn't getting enough sleep. Um, I did not have a relationship. I, I wow. didn't, I, I, I'd had my core group of friends, mm. but I was never going out. Um, I was always just building and grinding. Right. And mm -hmm. when I came to university, I realized I missed some of the, some of that, that those experiences. Mm -hmm. And so when I came here, those were things I wasn't willing to give up, which is why if you see in my timeline, this last two years, I've been investing a lot into other buckets of my life, yeah. relationship, my personal well-being, um, um, my mental well-being. I was in a pretty dark place. And so all of those different things, I I have have been things that I've really taken the time to invest in. Mm. But now I'm going back into the phase where I know I have to make that decision where I have to give up some of those things. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, this summer... When I moved to Toronto, I knew this four months is going to be make or break for me. And I have to somehow make, I have to build a strong foundation for me when I go back to school. Mm. And so uh, I was in the office like 5.30 for, to like 11 p.m. at night. Mm -hmm. uh, wasn't meeting a lot of people. Wasn't, mm -hmm. uh, wasn't doing, uh, wasn't taking, like going to the gym or anything. Mm -hmm. And so, but I consciously made the decision that I'm willing to give that up. Mm. The first time around, it wasn't conscious. It was, I, I, I it didn't have that. Exactly. It was, and so when you have that intentionality, it's different, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, okay, in this four months, I'm willing to give this up. Mm -hmm. and, and when the time comes for it, I will build all those different things. But I have come to the point where I know there's always a trade-off. Mm -hmm. And so again, the question I'm asking myself is, what, what am I willing to trade off? And um, I think for me now, there's all these other different buckets I feel like I've built those strong enough core mm -hmm. that at least for the next two or three years, I can rely on that core. Mm -hmm. um, my group of friends, uh, my partner, um, um, the other systems that I have in my life so that I can fully commit to, to my big vision and, and, and do just enough to make sure everything else is fine, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's tough, man, because it's like, there's a part of you that like, you want to take care of your health and you want to do all those different things, yeah. but like, the only way you're going to see X level of success is if you give something up and, and it's just like, what are you willing to, yeah, like trade off. And it's tough. It's really tough. Man, if, if, any, if anybody had the answer, then everybody would do it, right? They would, they would pre-pick it. Um, is there anything that you want to plug to the audience? Anything you want them to know? How do they follow more of your journey, your story? Yeah, no, I love, I love for people to check out, uh, like reach out to me. I'm always happy to have a chat at Zian Virgi on Instagram and other platforms. If you want to check out my podcast at Leaders of Today, uh, we chat with a lot of young people doing cool stuff in different industries. Nice. Um, and yeah, just hit me up. More than happy to always chat and, and always looking for community of people that are on the same wavelength. And the name of the two companies again, please, so they can follow the businesses. So at For the Menstruator, that's a nonprofit. And uh, at Green Apple Gives, that's our uh, new venture. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, before we close, I always like to end with a questionnaire that I stole from Bernard Pivot, which was stolen... Uh, from Bernard Pivot and used by the Inside the Actor Studios. I use that. Uh, it's just a, a quick subset of questions. We'll start with the simplest one. What is your favorite word? Ikigai. <laughs> <laughs> what is your least favorite word? 
regret? Uh, what sound or noise do you love? Ooh, I love the sound of Afrobeats. Okay. Uh, what sound or noise do you hate? <laughs> That's so tough. <laughs> um, I hate the sound of a lot of people talking in a room. Like when it's love, yeah, yeah, yeah. Gossip, I hate gossip too. Yeah. Um, if there was a profession other than your own that you could try, what would it be? I would love to be an artist. Okay. I love to. I'd love to sing. I think I have a pretty good voice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love to perform. I, I love performing and being in front of people. Uh, what profession would you not want to try? I would not want to work for someone. Any type of job. No type of I nine just, to five. I just no type of nine to five. Okay. Watch me end up. Gotta check the record. Uh, you might not be able to do this one. What is your favorite curse word? Um, favorite curse word. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> okay. And finally, uh, if heaven exists, what would you want God to say to you when you pass through His gates? Um, I'm proud of you. There you go. Yeah. With that, I hope we've made the listeners very proud. My name is Travel Simpson. This has been Unlinear. Please check out Spoke Network for all your Spoke podcast needs. Again, Mian, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Really happy to be on here. Absolutely. Thank, thank you, you so much. <laughs>